Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Kat Thomas. Kat is a 32-year-old expressive arts facilitator, a multimodal artist, as well as a feline and canine caretaker. I met Kat through a network of lovely humans, and she happened to work at Moffitt Cancer Center next to my University of South Florida Medical Education. There, she facilitates a therapeutic expressive arts experience for caregivers and patients. During this conversation, we cover her journey to this work, her adventures in Grandma's Forest, and why she wants to die at 103. I hope you enjoy. Before we talk more about Kat, I want to talk about my long-form Sunday's posts, uh, these are my weekly reflections of life and medical school and everything in between. Uh, on October 15th, 2017, I published On My Love for the Physical Exam or Halfway Through Neuropsych. This week, I reflected on my inpatient neurology week and my love for the physical exam. Neurology seems to draw many potential psychiatrists, and I suspect the physical exam is a major reason why. Then, this past week, and... Very recently, I published on a letter from past self and to future self on October 23rd, 2017. This week, I reflect on a letter I wrote to myself one year ago and that I needed dearly. Additionally, I write another letter to future Eugene. I hope I find it useful. And so you can find all of these writings as well as all the podcasts at mnmwod.com, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. That's mnmwod.com. Go there, check stuff out. So, Kat is an artist in residence and a proud dog owner. Before Kat dies, she wants the field of expressive arts to be widely known and kids at some point. When Kat dies, she wants a lot of people to come to her funeral for it to be a big party, to be 103, and to be active until she dies. After Kat dies, she wants to leave a legacy behind. In conclusion, Kat says, Everyone, keep doing what you're doing. Fight for what you think is right. I just hope that everyone finds a passion and a purpose for what they're doing in life, because it makes life a lot better. I have found mine, finally. Taking a while, kind of meshing a lot of things together, it's good. That's, that is my hope for everyone and humanity. So, Kat is an awesome human. Like I mentioned earlier, I met her through a network of friends, the bishops, and I hope to have them on the podcast one day soon. Or maybe one day. We'll see. And uh, we, uh, she's a, a lovely human. Uh, she worked, like I mentioned also earlier, she worked at, uh, she currently works at Moffitt Cancer Center. So it was this fun thing where I met, uh, I met the bishops in a music festival in, uh, in New York, and then they introduced me to uh, their daughter and, their, and some of her friends, and uh, Kat happened to be one of them. And she happened to live really close. It was just this weird coincidence. And Kat's awesome. She uh, she has uh, an Etsy store. I, I give the link uh, at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, you can look it up at The Goddess and the Nut. And she's a really lovely human. She uh, has, uh, on that Etsy store, she has a lot of her own artwork up, uh, some mandalas that she works on. And uh, also you can see, uh, also in the show notes, one of the like Seminole Heights, which is a really cool, hip, um, kind of up-and-coming area of uh, the Tampa Bay area. There they have, uh, they commissioned her for a mural piece in the, in the middle of an intersection. Uh, so, like, on the ground, they, they wanted, like, people to slow down, 
they want, uh, you know, like kids at play signs and like all the like you slow down, you know, all that kind of stuff didn't really work. Uh, so they tried to, they looked for another option. And so they looked at, uh, painting a mural on the, on the, on the road and it seemed to work in some other places. So they're like, Hey, why not try it here? And they actually commissioned Cat Thomas to do it. And you can find the link for, uh, the article written about it, as well as a video sort of showing the, the process of making it. And it's something that's really cool. And to have her stamp all over, you know, Seminole Heights is pretty rad as well. And this conversation was really lovely. I really enjoyed talking with her, um, talking, like digging into the practice of expressive arts and what's the difference between arts ther- art therapy and expressive arts. It's a pretty fine difference, but it's a, it's a cool one. It kind of keeps the, the power and control in the, in the person that makes the art versus the therapist. And uh, she doesn't want to be a therapist. She just wants to help people make cool art. And I think that shows a lot. And I think that it'll be really interesting to see how she... Uh, takes these skills that she's been accruing and learning and building and uh, what she does with it. Because I think uh, she'll, you know, one day she'll get her own little art studio and she'll get some cool people to do cool stuff. And um, I'm excited to see what happens. And so uh, I hope that you uh, don't mind me rambling about how awesome Cat is and that you've already started to make some uh, either some coffee, some tea, or maybe you're making some food and you're ready for a really cool conversation on death with Cat. It is October 26th, 2017. I'm sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and Kat Thomas is sitting in St. Pete in her home. And we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Kat, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Outstanding. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am, uh... An artist in residence. Uh, I think my official title should be expressive arts facilitator, but uh, that's that's okay. Um, <laughs> and and I work at Moffitt Cancer Center doing healing arts with patients and their family members and caregivers and staff. Um, and I love my job. <laughs> I can tell. I really can. Because we, we talked earlier and uh the the like what was so like what was your journey from uh from teacher to this? Like how did you get here and uh, and how 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 nice does it feel to be doing this stuff? Yeah, so um you know, growing up I kind of never really knew what I wanted to do. I was always very creative and I knew I wanted to help people. So those were like two things. But you know, you could do a lot with those things. Um, so long story short, I ended up teaching elementary school, uh, in outside of Atlanta and I taught third grade and a lot of my students, um, let's just say I ended up caring more about their emotional well-being than I did their academic success. Uh, you know, sometimes they would come in upset about something or, um, you know, they get upset during the day, so I created a little peace place in my room where kids could go over there and, you know, take like five minutes and do some drawing, do some writing, something to help them calm down a little bit and express themselves and get whatever they were feeling out onto a tangible object. Um, 
I had pillows and blankets and stuffed animals, and it was just a nice little cozy corner. Um, and I thought, you know, there has to be some sort of job or something in this field because it felt more right than what I was doing. Like, I enjoy doing that more so than the teaching aspect. Um, so I did some research and I found the field of expressive arts because um, I looked into art therapy, but I didn't think it was quite for me. Um, but I ended up doing a certificate program in expressive arts, um, which allows you to facilitate, you know, creative arts or expressive arts experiences for people um, without, you know, it's, it's therapeutic, but it's not considered therapy, um, which I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to be a therapist either. So this feels like it's perfect fit so far. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's where I am now. So, um, I have the certificate in expressive arts. And, uh, what is, uh, like, what was like, um, to, so to most people and to myself included, uh, before really talking with you earlier, um, I didn't really understand the difference between uh, expressive arts and art therapy. Like, and, and you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, like, it's like the, the, like how directed it is. Right. And like art therapy is a lot more like, uh, it's sort of like a, um, uh, like somebody's guiding you through something. Right. Yeah. And expressive arts is too. So, and you can be an expressive arts therapist as well. Oh, um, it's even further complicated. Yes, yes. So expressive <laughs> arts, basically, you use uh, visual arts, movement, sound, um, meditation, drama, um, tailor form, like a healing process for people, or, um, you know, to use it as self-discovery, using the arts as a tool, right? Um, and I would say the biggest difference between expressive arts and art Express, at least expressive arts therapy and art therapy is that um, in expressive arts, we believe that the creator of the image, um, they're the only ones who know what the image means. Uh, and then in art therapy, they're more uh, interpretive. The mm. facilitator or therapist is more um, the one who interprets things. But... Um, yeah, I don't provide therapy to people. I only guide them in practices to help them relieve stress, um, mostly for stress relief. Almost like you—you um, you don't like you—you you don't provide therapy. You like facilitate a therapeutic experience. Yes, which can be a cool. little bit confusing. Um, but we don't follow any sort of medical model for things and people don't, you know, people don't come, um, you know, with a specific diagnosis that we're trying to treat, if that makes sense. It's more, um, at least where I work, we have an open studio, so anyone can come in and we have different practices set up that people can do that, um, anyone can do so you know as long as they can move their hands um they can do them and they've been that's one of the things 
that we want people to feel safe and supported in there and that they can't fail at something that they're going to try because if you're setting someone up you know, to do something um, where they could fail, then it's probably not going to be a very therapeutic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. So uh, you, th- your response was, uh, I am an artist in residence. And so, the, so that's like your, your job title, but that also implies that you're an artist too, right? Um, yes. That's why I feel <laughs> a little conflicted about the title because mm-hmm. a lot of times an artist in residence will come into a hospital. They're trained in some area of fine arts. So like a visual artist or, um, I don't know, a sculptor or a photographer or something like that. And they'll come in with that background and help people. But I don't have that background. Um, Although I do my own artwork, it's more, I don't have any technical training, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, Do you, do you resist the title of artist? Because you said you do your (laughs) own artwork, but do you not identify as an artist? I do. I do now, but I just, You know, sometimes I feel like people, I don't know, like I feel like I'm an artist, but I feel like other people who are specifically trained in some sort of, you know, uh, fine art area look at me and are like, well, you're not really an artist because you don't have that trained background. But that's part of my job is to let people you know, get back in touch with their inner artist that they, you know, a lot of times have disconnected from. Mm -hmm. I think everyone is inherently creative and somewhere along the line, people are told that they're not an artist. And so like, it's, this has been a huge like process for myself. I didn't identify myself with being an artist before I went through the expressive arts training. And then I was like, you know what, everyone is inherently creative and, that's why I feel part of my job is to help bring that out of people again. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's just, it's a way of expressing yourself. People have done it, you know, from the beginning of time through movement or, uh, you know, writing on the walls of caves, everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's sort of like, uh, like, artists with a capital A is reserved for like the people that go through art school and like have the, have the beret and, and the, and the easel and all of that. And, uh, there's something about recognizing our own ability to make art. And that makes you an artist. Like if you make art, you're an artist. Like that's just all it is. Right. So, um, I think it's been really interesting. So many people are so afraid of like picking up a paintbrush or like we have some community artwork that's out that anyone can add a little bit to and people are so afraid that they're going to mess the whole thing up and it's going to ruin it and they have no artistic abilities you know whatever so many excuses and then once they finally do something they're like oh I didn't mess it up and that actually felt good and they usually come back to do something else so in a way I feel like part of my job is to give people permission to play with art supplies again and do, (laughs) you know, because if it makes you feel good and you're getting some, you know, you're getting something good out of it, there's a benefit to it, then, 
why not? You know, you don't have to show it to anyone else, but you can be an artist at your own house, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not saying you have to like go off and like try and sell your artwork and do all this stuff. It's just for your own health and well-being. You know, it's fine. Totally okay. Would you uh, would you describe your current arts practice? Sure. Um, hmm. I wish I could say that I was very consistent with my art practice, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, as I tend to be with a lot of things, I'll go through uh, moments I think where there's some creative buildup, and then it all kind of comes spilling out. Um, but I do a lot of collage work. Um, usually I'll start with setting an intention for my work, like, what do I want to get out of this today? Um, you know, whether it's like stress relief or I'm asking a specific question or, um, I'm doing it just to have fun. Uh, but usually I will do some sort of visual art piece. I draw a lot of mandalas also. I really enjoy doing that. Uh, collage work, I said that. I also have a three by three foot canvas that I have at my house that um, if I feel like getting like really big and doing some movement you know, with my whole body, I'll get that out and paint on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, I, t- I tend to do uh, multimodal uh, processes, which means like doing a visual arts piece and then some writing afterwards or like doing a little bit of movement first and then a visual arts piece and then some writing. I always do the visual art and I always do the writing. Those are two things that I always do because I feel like the visual arts piece kind of helps take everything that's inside and puts it onto something tangible. And then the the writing um, further helps me explore what I just created. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does. Um, do you do you write by hand, like with a pen, or do you uh, like type? Always handwrite, um, oh. because I think that it keeps the flow going. And there's something about typing that just kind of like I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like natural, maybe, I think. It's not as organic, I think. Um, and it's interesting, you can tell when I'm writing, like after I've done something, my handwriting gets really big and sloppy and um, <laughs> like at the beginning, and then it'll slowly get like back to normal, which oh, interesting. is really interesting. Um, so. Yeah, but yeah, I usually do, yeah, the visual arts and then the writing. Um, And I have specific um, things that I start with when I do the writing. So um, I usually write, start with I am, and then just do, um, don't censor it. I don't ever censor it. So whatever comes out, comes out, Um, Mm -hmm. which I think is, it took me some time to get used to that. Um, you know, when you're talking about things, it's easy to censor what you're going to say. And when you're Mm -hmm. writing about things, you can, you can censor it. 
but you're not going to get as much out of it unless you're just letting it all out. Mm-hmm. Even if there's some really weird stuff that goes <laughs> you just accept it as it is and you just keep writing and then later mm-hmm. on you can reflect on it um but that's a part of it is like getting it all out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah for my writing practice i uh one thing that was really important for me was separating drafting from editing and it sounds like that's what your practice of of after you do complete the visual part the writing is uh, it's like drafting is just vomiting words out like you don't don't edit you <laughs> don't get to like you, you just get words out and like even if, like no even with all the typos you just get words on the page and then uh ideally you separate the editing with like either a different computer or like a different thing entirely so you separate it like physically and mentally and with that with the editing then you start to like worry about like oh does this does this sentence flow well like does it make sense like get rid of all the typos all of that stuff but like separating drafting from editing was really important for me just to be able to write a lot and regularly because if you start if you're drafting and editing at the same time you'll never get anywhere or if you do it'll like you you might spend so long on a sentence that you forget the rest of the paragraph before it's like comes out yeah it's exactly like that yeah and that's also sounds a little bit like uh what you do with the expressive arts is like just like telling people like you don't need to edit now just draft just get it out yeah and we oftentimes tell people uh like when they come into the space um like whether it's a studio or the conference room or whatever, um, to leave their critic at the door. Just <laughs> leave it over there because we don't need him or her in the room. Uh, it's a judgment-free zone. That's another thing that, um, you know, because we don't teach art classes, not like painting with a twist or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very abstract. And, like, we're not here to tell people if they're stuff is good or not that's not Mm -hmm. the point yeah the point is just to get you know get everything out and yeah sometimes it's uh people always feel good afterwards but sometimes they have very emotional experiences um would you uh would you dig into that a little bit because at moffitt at the cancer center there it's like they do a lot of really great medical work but they you know they ha- there is that lack of like the emotional aspect of it and i imagine that it might be part of what the expressive arts does yeah so at moffitt they um part of their you know vision is whole person care so it's not just treating the physical ailments but it's also treating uh social emotional spiritual well-being of a person it's treating the whole person um and we work as a team to help people on their journeys um you know we have social workers we have chaplains uh we have artists and residents uh we have massage therapists you know a very long list of people who are there to help support patients um and i think that's why Moffitt is very highly ranked um, as, you know, one of the top cancer centers is because they do provide, you know, whole person care. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what have you seen as as the artists in residence in terms of like that 
emotional, spiritual uh, work like that, or that, that like release that you were describing earlier, like, uh, like those experiences people have? Um, you know, it's interesting. You never know who's going to come through the door and how they're going to be feeling. So, um, you have to be ready for anything. And I think everyone who works there is very, um, you know, intuitive to an extent to where you can, well, plus with experience, you can kind of feel people out once they get in there. Um, we get, some people are very anxious, like if they have a procedure coming up or if they're waiting on some test results or they're with a fan. A lot of times the caregivers come in and they're, you know, they've brought a patient who has an appointment or something and they're, and they're waiting for them. They can be, you know, very anxious, very nervous. People have traveled from, you know, forever away to get there. Um, so they've had a long day. It's very stressful for a lot of people. So, um, I think a lot of times, yeah, people just need something to calm their bodies down and their minds down. Um, so stress relief, but also, like I was saying, with like an emotional release, a lot of times it's the caregivers because they're trying to be so strong throughout the whole process. They don't want anyone to see them get upset. They don't... They, they're supposed to be like the rock, you know, that's holding it all together. And so I think we have the, we have, we always have music playing and our room is just very inviting and it's calm. And I think once people step in there, they feel, they feel safe immediately and they feel like it's a place where they can, they can have a little, a little breakdown if they need to. You know, and it's okay, and we can talk about it, and it's fine. Um, sometimes people come in there, and they've had a really bad day, and they just want to tell us, tell someone about it. Uh, we get that sometimes, too, which is fine. But we also, you know, um, are very aware of professional boundaries so like because we're not therapists if we feel that a conversation might be heading towards um someone needing um more of a therapeutic someone who is licensed um we do have social workers so people can get connected to the social workers people always are assigned social workers so um yeah we're a team we're all together <laughs> And so you are an artist in residence. Mm -hmm. What else is on that list of I am? I am a proud dog owner. <laughs> <laughs> have you always been a dog person? Is uh, How old is Peanut? Okay, I have a dog named Peanut, and she's six. She'll be seven in March. Um, my family has always had dogs. Um, and I've had... Yeah, I've had peanuts since she was six months old. And, um, I don't know. We go for walks all the time. We hang out <laughs> all the time. And, uh, as you know, I just rescued a tiny kitten as well. We're not really cat people, so we're going to see how it goes. I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, 
But yes, yeah, so I'm a now I guess a proud cat owner. Um, but I'm also a big music fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to go to festivals a lot, which I've been trying to figure out if I can do some sort of expressive arts workshops at festivals because I think, oh, um, especially like transformational type festivals where people are really looking on, uh, looking to, you know, better themselves in some way. Um, I think it would be really cool. Um, so I'm trying to work on getting some stuff going in that direction as well. Um, and kind of try to like merge two of my passions. Um, (laughs) so we'll see how that goes. Sounds really Um, good. Yeah. You know, because I think there's a lot that could be done there. Um, I just got to figure it out. Yeah, I, uh, I've been to a number of music festivals myself, and there's, um, there's so much, like, uh, opportunity and energy at a music festival, and it's all, it, to me, I just see it, like, untapped and wasted. It's almost like a big bonfire with all this gasoline and all it's doing is burning. Like there's no there's no work being done. There's nothing there's it's not like, you know, it's not, it's not like channeled. going anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's not exactly. Being channeled into the right area. Um and you know, I think a, I don't want to say a lot of people, but I think a, I think people in general have a lot of energy and and sometimes it takes someone to like steer it you know like mm-hmm. steer it in the right direction uh i don't know yeah <laughs> i was thinking wheels the wheels are turning the wheels are always turning i feel like i always have all kinds of ideas <laughs> did you uh did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood uh yes we were raised in the Methodist church with my mom and my brother went to church every Sunday. Um, and then my dad is Catholic. So he went to a different church. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I don't really go to church anymore. I consider myself more spiritual than I do religious at this point. Um, And I don't really, like, I find that I am closer to God when I'm out in nature or when I am doing my artwork. Uh, So I think it was good that my parents had us, I think, I think it was good. We had some structure and we had a religion, but I took a, um, cause my undergraduate degree is in anthropology. So I took a world religions class, uh, and it kind of like blew my mind, <laughs> um, because I'm from South Georgia and we, there people are Christian. There wasn't really anyone, you know, there wasn't really anything else. And so I wasn't raised with the idea that it's like I knew there were other religions, but I didn't really know anyone who like practiced anything else. Um, so I took that world religions class and then I started traveling like internationally 
a little bit. Um, and so then I was like, you know what? Like, I don't even know if like this is right for me. So it's been, um, I would say like five years ago, really, I started delving more into my spiritual, uh, journey. So did you, was, uh, was there a specific international travel that kind of like stirred up some wacky stuff inside you that, uh, cause I, I've uh, done some international travel myself and it is something that's just like, Oh wow. This people, every, it's so different. It's just so unbelievably different on like the, even the smallest details and it's, but also at the same time, very similar. And that's just like a very perspective enhancing and perspective widening experience that I think is invaluable. Yeah, I think because I was taking the, I took all the anthropology classes, I really got into um, shamanism. So I studied a lot about, like I did a field research um, study in Belize on Mm. shamans and um, like how they healed people. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that was very eye-opening, but then also... Several years ago, I went to Southeast Asia, and I went to South Korea, I went to Thailand, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, and it's a whole different world over there, <laughs> you know? Um, it, I actually was at a restaurant in Bali with a friend of mine and saw this procession going down the road and, you know, everyone was dressed in, um, I want to say like these white outfits. Um, uh, it was like a parade and they were carrying these like wooden bamboo box things with like, there were just these huge shrine looking things. And I was like, you know, what is this? I want to go see. So anyways, I followed them all the way down to the beach. It was a funeral procession and they ended up having like a huge celebration of the person's life. And then they ended up, they like set the people on fire and everyone watched and it was like a huge celebration. I don't know. It was very interesting. And um, that's just one of the things like we don't do that here. That I know of. I don't know anyone who, um, you know, does those kind of things here. Mostly funerals are very sad and not a celebration. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is a, it is like a very hidden and like, like you know, even even the way we treat the the bodies of the dead are sort of like we must make them look as alive as possible so you can't even tell that they're dead it's such a bizarre uh, i don't know it's so weird and they put the embalmings you know and it and it like makes people last longer their bodies don't decompose this fast mm-hmm. and they're just sitting in boxes underground it's so bizarre to me i don't know that's so weird mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know how how we got on this topic well, I guess it's I good. Do, but... I mean, that's, that's the podcast, right? It's good. It is perfect. And so I think that's a good segue. So, uh, <laughs> so how do you, how do you finish the prompt before I die? I want, um, hmm. before I die, I want 
I want a lot of things. I want the field of expressive arts to be widely known. I want people to, you know, be able to find like an expressive arts facilitator and say like, I need you to help me with this and help me relax a little bit. And, or just to have people doing art on their own just to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I want their, the stigma of that to not be there. I want people to feel comfortable doing, making art because they want to, moving their bodies around because they want to, because it feels good. Um, I want to have my own studio where people can come and I can have workshops and, um, you know, like self-development workshops or... Um, self-discovery through the arts or something. I don't know. I I want my own space to have events. <laughs> or, you know, be a part of a wellness center or something. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking about it in terms of, like, when uh, the avenues that people have for, like, um, you know, like, they go to a yoga class then when you and you follow along with the instructor, and you do the thing that the instructor does, and you go to a uh, learn to paint night, or like a wine and paint night, and you just, they have a painting, and they tell you how to do the techniques to do that kind of painting only, um, and it's like a very, it's very like, uh, like follow along, and I know like that, that versus uh, what you're kind of describing, which is just, just do your thing, just, just yeah. make your thing. Like here's the space we're going to have like, I don't know, a visual art, you know, like collage writing, collage and writing night or something. I don't know, with a theme of stress relief or a, or a theme of um, releasing what no longer serves me or something like that. Um, I've been very close to having workshops, but uh, I'm getting there. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Not in my own space yet, but uh, that's one thing. That I want to do and I want people to like I want to yeah to be more accessible and more normalized I guess I don't even know mm -hmm. if that's the right word but yeah like yoga has become a huge thing now um I actually think mental health awareness is becoming a much larger topic um like people taking mental health days from work I think mm -hmm. a lot for so long that's been like shoved on the back burner until people have like total meltdowns. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I want, yeah, I want to have like classes where people can come and do their thing. I'll set up the materials. I'll clean up the material. You know, you just show up, you do your thing. We talk about it for a little bit and then you go on your merry way. Um, yeah. So I want that before I die. I want a studio before I die. What else do I want? Yeah, professionally, that's what I want. I want to have kids at some point. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Do you, do you know, uh, is it, in, I guess, um, is it important, like, how would you want to raise those kids? Like, under, like... Would you want to give them sort of the structure of a religion that in sort of the same way that you did? Or like, yeah, I know that face is, tells me a lot. <laughs> <You're thinking about> 
<laughs> you know, I nanny for a kid part-time um, also. And they have just provided him with a lot of different books on religion. Um, so I'm wondering, because you know, you don't want to like experiment with your kids, but you kind of are, you know, they're like, mm -hmm. you've never done it before. So you're kind of doing what you think is best for them and seeing what happens. Um, and I know all parents think that's, you know, that's, they think this is what's best for their kids. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to raise my kids to go to church every Sunday because I don't do that. I feel like I would be, it would be hypocritical and it would, uh, I would feel awkward, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think there needs to be something. Some, some sort, sort of structure. structure. I don't yeah, know what that is yet. I, I like don't interact with children very much. I haven't done my pediatric rotation yet, but I like always get like every time I interact with them, I always like get a little startled with like, oh my goodness, they just like don't know so much stuff. Like they're just they like don't even know how to move their bodies well. Like it's just like this bizarre like they'll just walk into poles. Like it just happens. And like when you're talking about the ways to like interact with the world and think about the world, it's such a it's such a tough thing and like I uh, I was just listening to an audio book called the Lakota, Living the Lakota Way, and it's this uh, uh, Joseph Marshall. Um, he's this uh, Lakota um, historian, and he's a beautiful storyteller, and he tells these stories that he heard growing up, and he sort of organizes it in this really beautiful way. And it's sort of like you're sitting with him around a fire, and just, just they're like little things, the way that, like, in his stories... Uh, like an old person, like an elderly woman walking around, or like an elderly man walking around, will call all the young people grand grandson or granddaughter, and mm -hmm. all the the young people will call them grandmother, grandfather, even if they're not related. But just that, like, just like those kinds of little things that like give some sort of structure to like how should how should you view the world and the people in it is just like it's it's important. I don't know what's right. I don't know if there is a right answer, but it is like. There's, there's something you got to give them something otherwise they're just going to watch netflix and oh yeah definitely and um i think like you know teaching them to to be good to people you know like <laughs> mm -hmm. be good to people all people doesn't matter what they look like you know their socioeconomic status be good to nature like i want my kids to be playing outside and I don't want them sitting in front of a TV. Uh, I mean, we can watch TV sometimes. I watch TV sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I want them to appreciate nature and be in awe of, like, how beautiful it is. Um, so I kind of feel like... I don't know. Having... I don't know. There has to be a structure and there has to be... Like, respecting your elders. There have to mm -hmm. be, like, rules and stuff, but uh, I don't know that I would necessarily want to take to them to, like, an organized mm -hmm. religious uh, event unless they ask to go. Or maybe we could go to a bunch of different ones and see what they like or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of, um, I think it's Montessori schools. The schools that 
it might not be Montessori, but the kids kind of like develop their own curriculum, kind of. They like learn through like project learning based things. I think I could be merging two different things, but um, where they like want to study religions, but then you can like teach them math and stuff in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what that's called, but anyways, maybe that's, that's how cool. to raise kids. And I like read that. You know, find out what your kids like to do and keep, like, giving them as many resources in that area. Um, Because that's how you hone in on, like, what they're going to want to do as an adult when they get older. Is you, like, help them figure out what they're good at, what they like doing, what they don't like doing. And, I don't know, I'm not a child expert, though. I don't have kids, so I don't really know how that's going to go. But those are my thoughts on I like them. Good thoughts. As of right now. Um, how do you finish the prompt when I die? I want. Hmm. When I die, I want. I want a lot of people to come to my funeral, and I want yeah. it to be at, like a party. You know, like we were talking <laughs> about earlier. I don't want people to be like. Yeah, super sad. But when I die, I want... I've always felt that I was going to live to be 103. So I think that I will be that old. Um, So I want to be at least 103. Um, So it'll be like, what, the year like 2070, something like that? uh, Well, I was born in 84. So it'll be... Oh, my math is way off. I know. I was like, that doesn't quite <laughs> add up right. But I'm not very good at math, so it took me a minute. Um, whatever that would be. 2084. 20, or 2087. Because it'll be... Yes. Yes. 2087. Okay. So it'll be the... Okay. And do you... Oh, goodness. Where was I going to go with this? I want to... I don't know. What were you going to say? No, no. Go for it. I want to be very active. Like, right up to when I die. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I think so. Have and you have you thought about the the moment of your passing at 103? No, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't really think about that very much. I just know 103 has been a number that has stuck with me. Um, but I guess I would want to be... You know, I would say I wanted to be surrounded by friends and family, but I don't really know if I want anyone there when I'm dying, you know? Like, I might just want to die by myself. Everyone can say goodbye, and then I'll just Mm -hmm. slip away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't... I think that would be very difficult for someone to have to watch someone else die. So I I resonate with that uh, very strongly. It's... um... I feel like it should be like, you know, you kind of go into you kind of go into this world and there's all these people around you that you don't really know. And uh, then you get to know them and you're like, okay, these people are pretty cool. But like your transition away from life, it's like such a you're going in alone. And it's like one of those things where it's like it'd be nice to kind of go alone, like to just uh, to, to to 
to not have to worry about the what people think or like how sad they are. You're just like, no, this is this is my time. Like this is this, it's like your birthday. It's your death day. You get to it should be yours to like celebrate in your own little weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Hmm. Yeah, I think I want to be by myself with like fur blankets and stuff. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe some outside. candles. <laughs> yeah. Fur blankets and candles. Uh, I don't know. I want it to be, like, very comfortable. Yeah, because I don't want anyone else to, like, have to see me die. That would be... I don't want to be there once... I would rather someone say, I'm almost... You know, like, I'm almost there. You can tell me your goodbyes now. And then that's that. And then you let them be. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their final moments. Has there has there been a death that has affected you deeply? Mm. I wouldn't say deeply. My grandmother had cancer when I was younger. Um, but most... She and my two great-grandmothers all died, like, kind of around the same, like, within a few years of each other. Um, but I guess my grandma Alice, the one that had leukemia, she, I used to love, we used to have so much fun at her house. We'd go <laughs> over there and build, like, pillow or, like, blanket forts and stuff, and she would take us to the store, and we would get to buy Slim Jims and, like... <laughs> You know, stuff we didn't usually eat. Um, And we would, like, feed the birds on our front porch. Her house is, like, one of the places where... Because she lived on... She had a ton of land. And we would just, like... I would go with my cousins, and we would just be out in the woods, poking around out there. And, like, I don't (laughs) even know what all we did, but, you know, climbing trees and looking for arrowheads and doing lots of nature stuff. Um, I feel like she was very naturey with feeding the birds and stuff. She had huge, huge bags of bird seed that she would just put it out in the morning all over her front yard. Uh, and she had bird boxes in her backyard. But I don't really remember. So she... When she was getting really sick, my mom, like, we didn't go see her anymore. Mm. There was, like, a cutoff point because she started looking really, really badly, and my mom didn't want us to remember her in that way. Mm. She was, um, I think she was in a nursing home towards the end, maybe. I don't, I don't have, like, really, really good memories of it. I think I was maybe, like, 10, so I wasn't that young. But um, I know that she, yeah, like, we couldn't go see her. Well, I guess we're kind of told, like, to say your goodbyes. Maybe that's where I get that from because she was then allowed to, like, do her own thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then my two great grandmothers, I don't really remember. They they passed away before that, so uh, I don't really remember a lot of that. 
But yeah, I would say her death out of all, you know, all the funerals and stuff that I've been to is probably the one that sticks out the most. Because she was so fun. <laughs> did she have, or like, did you, did you kind of like get a perspective on like, oh, these are kinds of things that I, I do want at my funeral. These are kinds of things that I don't want at mine. I don't even really remember the funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals, though, so, um, I don't really like, like, I don't really like the whole church thing where everyone sits in there and people get up and they're, like, crying half the time to try and, like, get through a speech about someone, and sometimes there's an open casket, like, that's so weird to me (laughs) that there's, you know, an open casket of a dead person that you can go look at uh that's it like i don't know that's really think, weird to me i, I don't think want that there's like there's like value in a viewing of like a truly dead person like saying like oh life has left their body and they look definitely dead but then there's a it's a totally different thing if it's a viewing of a body that has been like made to look like they're alive like that that's what gets weird it's like you know what i mean like it's like oh okay they're, they look. They, I remember what they looked like when they were alive, and this is what they look like now as they're dead, and they look dead. And like I can, okay, I can move on from there. Uh, but if you like see a dead person and they look like you know they got blush on, so there's they you know have what I mean? makeup on. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, I think I would. I well, you know, I think about getting cremated. Um which I think I would like. But then I was reading this article about how <laughs> these people supposedly cremate people, but it's not really, they're like dumping the body somewhere and it's not really like they're cremating people. I don't know. That's it's a whole weird. sketchy beat. Unless you do it yeah. yourself, you don't really know what's happening, right? No, put it in my will to have like a, like a party on the beach like those people did in Indonesia. Right? Um, yeah, I'd want it to be a celebration. Um, cause, cause why not, mm-hmm. you know, celebrate all the fun things that we did, all the fun times we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's tough because it's something that happens, uh, like you can't set, it's hard to set the vibe of your own funeral. Like, you yeah. know, it's like, it's, uh, it's like the people that are left behind and that's what's so tough is like like people have such a weird thing about death. And so like, if you, if even if you want people to be happy, it's like if everyone else around you is super bummed that you're gone, it'll like, it'll kind of change the tone of, of the, of the wake and the funeral. Yeah. And you know, like, yeah. And you don't really like things don't really hit home, you know, like, cause I work at a cancer center. So people do die and mm-hmm. it is like, that's a part of it. Um, but you almost kind of like working in that setting become kind of like, I don't want to say like emotionally numb, but unless you you have like a real personal connection with someone, um, it's, it's just you see it as just part of like the cancer process. But I get, you know, it's part of life's process as well. Mm-hmm. Um but you're still like kind of removed a little bit. So I think, yeah, 
it's hard to, yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell people, yeah, this is how I want you to behave at my funeral. Because it's just, you can't do that. Death is kind of a weird thing. Uh, I don't know. I remember, like, the like the deaths of our dogs a lot. So mm-hmm. we had so many dogs growing up. Um, and, like, some of them you can prepare for. This is the other thing, too. It's, like, preparing for someone dying versus someone just getting snatched away in a moment where there's no preparation for it. Um, those are, you know, totally different experiences as well. Uh, I don't know. I I was just thinking about two dogs that we had. One got hit by a car one day and like we went to school and then we came home from school and the dog was, you know, we didn't have the dog anymore. And so we buried the dog in the backyard. That's what we did with all of our dogs. We buried them in the backyard. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we had little, like, funerals for them. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's got me thinking about um, spontaneous death. It's tough. So, it's, like, yeah. I, that was how my 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 dog died. He, uh, I, was, I remember I was playing uh, this video game, Wolfenstein Enemy Territory. I was playing with some buddies online. And... Uh, some I think like some dude stopped by and told us like they found our dog by the side of the road, and then my dad went out in the lawnmower and with the with the cart in the back to go grab him, and I just remember that totally changed my whole night. I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" I know, and you're like so upset because you think you're gonna, you know, you're gonna like, I don't know, it's your dog. You're gonna like play yeah. with him. Tomorrow, I was gonna be super whatever. stoked to see you or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and when they're like just all of a sudden gone, um, I don't know, it's difficult, and so like thinking about that with people, um, I don't know if it, you know, I think in. I think if someone's sick and they kind of like unexpectedly take a turn for the worse and then die. That's one thing, um, because you're, like, they're already kind of suffering a little bit, so you, like, you're, you're semi-prepared, and you don't want them to suffer, and so it's more okay that they die, but mm-hmm. it's the ones that, like, like, when people have a random heart attack, and then they just die on the spot, uh, that I think are the most mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah, like right. the that little bit of preparation, that little bit of heads up, just being like, "Oh boy, okay, I guess uh, we got to prepare ourselves for this possibility." But like, just getting smacked by it is tough. Yeah, um, I don't know why this just made me think of. Um, you don't want to be alone. I mean, you want like I want to be alone when I die, but like I don't want to be alone, like living alone and. While you're dying. Yeah. Like, like yeah. you want to have, like, a, a spouse. Or, like, you are still got a best friend. Or, like, you know, something. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that makes it worse if people are alone. And I think 
that I think people die sooner when they are lonely mm-hmm. because we need connection and we need to have those like close friendships and close feelings of being needed and wanted and appreciated um, and being able to give that to other people. I think when people don't have that, uh, it becomes very depressing. And I think, I think people die sooner because of that. Yeah, I'm on uh, my psychiatry rotation right now, my neurology and psychiatry rotation. And it's just really startling it's like pretty you're just like oh all these people are sad and lonely like and they're like it's like they're which happened first did they become lonely first and then become sad or sad first and then become lonely and it's like it's just like they're just hearing like all of these uh stories of just like people being suicidal and they're in the hospital and it's just like you hear about they're like they're just like like train wrecks of lives and and like people that they've hurt or who've hurt them. And it's just like, Oh man, like, I don't, I don't, I can see why you would feel this way like entirely. And it's a, it's a really, it's just one of those things. Like we really like, you don't see happy people like happy social people in a psychiatry office. Very, you you do, but you don't, you know, at the same Uh time. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Like we are so social and, um, we have social media, but that doesn't do it. That doesn't scratch that itch. Right. That was, I was going to bring that up because it's just so interesting that now in a day and age where you can be connected with people all over the world via your computer, yet you still have people who are feeling extremely lonely and depressed and not connected at all to anyone mm-hmm. when... But yeah, that's kind of like a fault. I don't know. It's like a. It can give you like a false sense of connectedness in a way. Yeah. Uh, depending on like. I don't know what platform you're using or you know how you're connecting with people. Um, that's one reason why I'm not sure that I want to be a therapist either. Why. I don't know that I want to listen to people. It would be very depressing. I think I would get very depressed listening to people's stories. I think that's one thing therapists have to make sure they do a lot of like self care Mm -hmm. um, is because they hear all of this depressing shit like all the time. And Mm -hmm. you got to be able to purge it, just get it out. I know, that's where the expensive arts comes into play. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one thing that I found, like, on my on this rotation of psychiatry. It's just like, I'm like, oh, man, I got to take really good care of myself because it's just yes. like, it is a lot. You do. Something, that, um, something that I have learned along the way is that, and something I like to think of, um, is everything that comes in during the day has to then go back out because whether it's through talking or dancing or working out or whatever, um, it has to get back out because if it doesn't go back out, then it's literally like you're holding it all in and it's not good for you mentally Mm -hmm. or physically, um, or emotionally. So, uh, yeah, self-care routines are super important. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For uh, when I coached CrossFit, I would uh, I would tell athletes like um, you know if you're 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 buckling up to do a 15 minute just like lung destroying workout, you had better be willing to at least do at least 15 minutes of stretching after this workout to at least sort of offset whatever you know like if yeah. you're go- you got to you got to like respect how much you need to decompress mm-hmm. yeah so uh how do you finish that final prompt after i die i want after i die i want to leave behind a legacy legacy of what a legacy of Helping others heal through the arts. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like I might write some books at some point. Um, maybe do... I don't know. I want to leave behind a body of work that people can you know, look at and use as resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think everybody wants to live a meaningful, purposeful life. I would think. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I feel like that's something. Yeah, I want to, like, look back when I get really old and think, like, yeah, I've done a lot of really awesome stuff and I've inspired some people and I left behind some things that hopefully will help others on their journeys. Um,. Yeah, a legacy of sorts. <laughs> Sounds we'll good. See. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And are you are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future for uh, the world and life and the earth itself after you pass? After I pass? Mm, I'm not sure how things are going to be at that point, honestly. Uh, so I was just told, I don't know if this is true or not, but that... Um, some sort of new, like, vaccine or something is coming that's going to help people live longer. Um, but then the world's going to get overpopulated, and then it's just going to be awful. So uh, I kind of feel like that's how we're headed now. And by the time I'm, you know, dying or dead, I don't... I don't think it's going to, I don't know that we will have snapped out of our uh, environmental destruction yet. I don't know how long it's going to take before people like start taking things more seriously. Because it's obvious that we're destroying the planet. So I think Right now, the world is ruled mostly by power and money and uh, without any, you know, regard towards animals or the ocean or anything like that. Um, I don't know what it's going to take for things to start going in the other direction. So when I die, it might... It might there's a very high chance it's going to be way worse than it is right now. Whatever whatever the world looks like in 100, 200 years, it's going to be very different, very different than it did 100, 200 years ago. Like, it's just going to be, 
totally different. Like what you, and the yeah. thing is you can't move backwards. It's like there we've, things are just too wacky, too changed to even consider trying, like you'll never, you don't see people like, uh, tearing down uh, apartment complexes to let the forest back. It's always the other way around, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and... I don't know. Like, think about, like, even just, like, the amount of cars that are on the road now. Everybody drives. And... Like, I think at some point, no one's even going to be able to go anywhere because there's just going to be too many cars. So there's going to have to come up with... I don't know, flying cars or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that will ever really be a thing, but um, hopefully that will happen before I die because I would really like to ride in a flying car. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I don't know. Things are weird. Things are weird, and I feel <laughs> really But I signed so many petitions, you know, about, like, Sign this petition, save this elephant, you know, sign this petition about palm oil, sign, Mm. you know, whatever. And I'm like, are these even doing any good? I don't even know, like, I don't know, is that even working? I try to donate money to, I can't think of the World World Wildlife uh, Foundation Fund, Mm -hmm. whatever it's called. Uh, You can, like, adopt an elephant or a tiger. (laughs) But you don't really adopt it. It's just like a symbolic gift. Um, But, you know, I don't know how much good that does. I don't know. You know, that's just a very small percentage of something. I don't know. I think everyone should try to do their part, but it doesn't make up for everyone who's not doing their part. And then, you know, corporations that are doing much more of the wrong part. (laughs) So would it be safe to say that you're pessimistic about the future? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I'm optimistic in my life. You know. But as far as I don't have a lot of um, faith in humanity and the leaders of some places. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good people in the world, but then there's a lot of bad apples too. So, um, I don't know what it will take. Yeah, I like to. I would like to try to be optimistic. But until someone presents, like, a reasonable way to fix everything. And they, that's, I can't even say that, because those things have been presented, and, you know, they're just shut down, or, (laughs) um, you know, like when the electric car was invented, like, forever ago. Have you seen that movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? I haven't. Oh, yeah. It's about how it was invented a long time ago, and they just shut it down. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what life is like in twenty eighty seven. Because uh, 
who knows? There's so many weird, weird turns we could take. Yeah. Are you optimistic? I think so. I, I don't, I'm optimistic, <laughs> I'm optimistic for life. I don't know about yeah. human life necessarily. Right. Like, life is going to go on just fine. Uh, whether or not humans are the ones kind of pushing things around is a whole different question. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't, yeah, things are weird. They're only going to get weirder, but, um, hopefully they at least stay fun, you know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think I just mostly think about all the animals, you know, and all the ones that are already, uh, extinct and all the ones that are already on the endangered species list. hard to have hope for all of them but you got a big heart a big big old heart <laughs> <laughs> i know saving that kitchen to yesterday mm-hmm. uh, if i could save them all i would but i can't so i do my best <laughs> as a person that's that's a good uh yeah that's a good note to, to end it on because uh you got to do got to do the good you can mm-hmm. and so uh, we've been talking for what like an hour and a half now something like that it's been a while been a little while, and I want to give you the last few uh, minutes or moments to address the audience directly. Whoever's listening to this, maybe it's uh, 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 like you know the bishops of the friends of ours, or maybe it's uh, you know future children of Cat, or maybe it's Cat, uh, you know, a, at a hundred and two listening to younger Cat. Um, the floor is yours. Me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I've already said a lot of things. Um, I don't know. Everyone keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Fight for what you think is right. Um, I don't know. I just hope that everyone finds like a, a passion and a purpose for, you know, what they're doing in life because it makes life a lot better. Um, I have found mine finally (laughs) taken a while, kind of like meshing a lot of things together, but, um, yeah, it's good. So that is my hope for everyone and humanity. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Kat. This has been a real, a real pleasure for Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, this has been Cat Thomas on Death.